is a, there is a, a promise attached to this book that, that those who study it and act on it will receive the blessings in it. All right? It was a blessing from God uniquely for getting into this book. So tonight we're going to look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so let's read together and let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now that the word of God is true, that the word of God is real, that this is your word and we come to it, Lord, with fear and trembling. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us. We ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to understand this book. We ask you, Lord, to unlock its pages to us. And Lord, that this book and what we look at tonight will cause us to look up for our redemption draws nigh. And we thank you for it and we bless you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. All righty. Now, last time we covered chapters four and five. In chapters four and five, I was sharing with you, uh, give us a much needed view of incredible worship taking place in heaven. We need to see this. It's like a prelude, literally, to hell on earth because that's what the judgments of God are gonna bring. Now, we caught a beautiful glimpse of what heaven is gonna look like. Uh, It's full of worship. If you don't like worship, learn now because that's what you're gonna be doing in heaven. That's, that's what, what's going on. When you come into the presence of the Lord, you can't help but worship and cast your crowns at his feet. Amen? Amen. We're going to need what we saw in chapters 4 and 5 because next God's awesome, and awesome judgments begin. Now, chapters 6 through 19 vividly predict and describe what has historically been called the Great Tribulation which occupies 14 of the 22 chapters of this book, all right? The Great Tribulation is the climactic hour of God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world, and we're gonna see that as we go through this book, that even with the judgments of God falling, the people are looking up and shaking their fist in the face of God and blaspheming his name, even though they know that it's his judgments. And it sets the stage for the return of Christ in a brand new world. Now, we're going to see that the Great Tribulation contains several sevens. All right, it's interesting. Seven is the number for completion. And I don't believe big time in Bible numerology. I think you can get into that too much and kind of go loopy with it. But there are certain numbers, the number three for God, number six for man, number seven for... uh, Uh, completion, number eight, new beginnings. That's kind of where my Bible numerology stops. It will last, let me give you an example. The the, the great tribulation uh, lasts seven years. And during those seven years, God pours out three sets of seven judgments, 21 judgments in all. The seven trumpets, or sorry, let me start over, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, 21 judgments in all, falling consecutively one after the other. To my mind, each of them getting worse. The bowl judgments are worse than the seal judgments, and they're bad. But this is the judgment of God. Now, we're going to see that 
during the great tribulation, Satan, under God's permissive hand, is allowed to bring his evil forces to the earth like never before. He, he is allowed to manifest like never before. The apostle Paul predicted this very thing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Paul says, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion. And another version uh, would say apostasy against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. So an apostasy from the faith will precede the appearance of Antichrist. All right? And, and in my opinion, we're seeing an apostasy right now. There is an apostasy happening all over the world. People are, are more and more walking away from the faith. I ran across one last night. Cindy and I were just out for a little ride. And I ran across a guy. As a matter of fact, I stopped and uh, I asked this guy a question. Uh, he was working on a house. And I asked him, hey, what's the square footage of that house? That thing is huge. He said, I know that voice. Who are you? And I said, I'm Jeff Wickwire. And he says, I used to listen to you on the radio. And I said, used to? And he said, well, um, I've kind of gone into Judaism. I said, really? Tell me. And he, he proceeded to tell me about how he had decided Jesus wasn't God. Jesus was not the Messiah. And he had walked away and gone into Judaism. I wanted to say, I bet you love Galatians, but I didn't. Because Galatians is all about don't go into Judaism. Run for your life. But anyway, I sat and had a long talk with him. And so here I was looking at somebody who has literally apostatized from the faith, walked away. Now, he may not feel that way, but that's when you renounce Christ and walk away, I don't believe anymore. I don't want it anymore. That's not backsliding. That's apostasy. All right? And so my, I, I intend to call him, stay with him, and have some very hearty debates with him. Because I got his card. So he's sunk now. I can track him. Right? But now watch this. There's going to be a great rebellion and apostasy against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Did you catch that? He's going to sit in the rebuilt temple of God, and he's going to claim, I'm God. That happens three and a half years through tribulation. And literally all hell breaks loose on the earth when he does that. Everything changes. And I'll get into that later in this, this series. Don't you remember, says Paul in verse 5, that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. Another version would say restraining him. What is restraining the appearance of Antichrist? Some say the Holy Spirit. Others say the church. I personally believe it's the church. Because when the church is taken out, there's no more restraint against evil. The church is the salt of the earth, the light of the world. When the church is taken out, restraint is taken out. Because nobody's going to sit there and go, well, that's clearly the Antichrist. No, because the church will be gone. So you know what is holding him back? For he can be revealed 
only when his time comes. So that's talking about the Antichrist. Now, at this very moment, it is God who is holding back the appearance of Antichrist through the church. And, of course, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is part and parcel of that because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He will not arrive on the scene until God's timing allows it and the church is gone. Now, as we come to chapter 6, it opens with the appearance of the well-known four horsemen of the apocalypse. These four horses represent four awesome judgments the last day's earth will experience. And what we're about to read is not a pretty picture, and I wish what we're about to read weren't true, but it is. Now, because it's so heavy, and it is hard to hear, it's hard to read, it's hard to imagine, I want to just remind us again that when God brings judgment, it's always after lengthy calls to repentance, mixed with warnings from his prophets, always. God always gives a lot of time to repent before judgment actually falls. Abraham said to God, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. The judge of the earth will always do right. And he said that to God before God rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Peter informs us that during Jesus' many persecutions and abuses at the hands of men, our Lord, quote, never answered back when insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. I love this next uh, part of the verse. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. When somebody offends you, leave your case in the hands of God. He saw it. He knows about it. You don't have to go whoop anybody. You don't have to execute Texas justice. You don't have to go work out some vengeance plan. No, if somebody wrongs you, Leave your case in the hands of God because, folks, things have a way of coming out in the wash. They do. They do. So, because God, look what he says, always judges fairly. The psalmist David David writes in Psalms 19, verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. So, So when God judges, it's always right. People say, Pastor Jeff, why did, why did God tell Israel to go into the land of Canaan and slaughter all those people, the men, the women, and the children? Why did God do that? But the people that ask that question don't know Bible history because God told Abraham that there would be 400 years before judgment fell on the Canaanites because the sins of the Amorites were not yet fulfilled. In other words, God said, The Amorites, the Canaanites, those that are living so wickedly in the land of Canaan, they're living terribly. They're full of sin. They are are judgment worthy. But I wait. God God knows when the judgment or or the the sin and the iniquity reaches the place of fullness, uh, completeness, when it's not going to get any worse. And God says, that's it. And that's why God sent in judgment. But look, he gave them 400 years to repent. Now, that said, let's begin with the first horseman. Here we go. Revelation 6, 1, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. 
Who broke it? The lamb. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. And then John observes, I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Now, most Bible scholars believe this is the Antichrist. I believe it's the Antichrist. He will have authority depicted by the crown. But he'll go forth conquering as the good guy. He's going to appear on the world stage as the good guy. Daniel says he'll gain his power by flatteries, by working people. He'll be a master manipulator. Hence the white horse. That's why it's a white horse. Because he comes on like a good guy. Remember, Jesus, way later at the end of the Revelation, Jesus returns on what color of horse? So, anti-Christ. So here you have a phony counterfeit preceding the real thing. Have you ever noticed the devil often sends the fake before the real shows up? Tries to get you to, to bite the bait on the fake before the real shows up, before God answers that prayer? Or before God, you into that, God guides you into that right uh, place where he wants you. Uh, you, you a, a fake, a phony, a counterfeit, a wrong substitute is offered. And here, Antichrist appears like Christ. White horse. Roman generals rode white horses, depicting themselves as conquering heroes. And Antichrist is going to present himself as a master problem solver, a diplomat deluxe a man of peace and of goodwill. I'm here to help the world. I'm here to get you out of your trouble. I'm here to broker a Middle East peace treaty. I'm going to bring peace to the Middle East. I'm going to bring peace to the world. I'm your guy. I'm your answer. I've got it all going on. I'm all that in a bag of chips. All right? British historian Arnold Toynbee wrote, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons and at the same time making the whole world more and more interdependent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of stress that we are ripe for deifying any new Caesar that might succeed in giving the world unity and peace. Right now we're watching all the nuclear saber-rattling Russia towards Ukraine, Putin threatening nuclear war, China testing missile delivery systems that go faster than anything has ever gone. They can circle the globe in a stunning amount of time. We're surrounded by nuclear arsenal, way, way more than enough to take the world out over and over again. And so no wonder the stress, especially of the unsaved, is so high. I can't imagine seeing this world through the eyes of being lost, having no God, no Christ, no promises, no Bible, no Holy Spirit comforting me, strengthening me, no word of God guiding me, shining light on my path. I can't imagine being in this world without Jesus. Can you? It would be a very scary place. No wonder people are checking out. 
No wonder they're drowning themselves in drugs and alcohol and all kinds of weird occult practices and so on and so forth. The rider of the white horse represents the arrival of the man who will become for a brief time the world's conquering hero and ruling Caesar, the Antichrist. He'll look noble. He'll look righteous. He'll look gallant. He'll be charismatic. He'll be persuasive. He'll be an incredible orator. That's why so many people were convinced that Hitler was the Antichrist. Because he was a perfect type, charismatic, could, could hold hundreds of thousands of people spellbound with his oratory. He seemed to solve so many problems for Germany overnight. And many people in the West thought, there, there he is. That's the Antichrist. We're there. But he wasn't. He was just a type. He is a type. He was a good type. But he wasn't the one. Antichrist will rise quickly to a place of prominence. He'll be hailed a problem-solving genius. But folks, here's the deal. He's the devil in disguise. The most, in my opinion, the most demon-possessed man in the history of the world. Certainly the most demonically used man in the history of the world. Does he come about by an immaculate conception from below? No. No, he's a human being with the fallen nature of Adam, but Satan lays hold of this man. Remember what it says about Judas. It says Satan entered Judas's heart. You remember that? Satan entered Judas's heart. He had already decided that he was going to betray Jesus, but then it says after that, Satan entered his heart and he went straight out and told the Sanhedrin the Jewish leaders, uh, how, how to get to him, telling them, I'll take you to him tonight. But it says Satan entered his heart. Satan will enter this man's heart on a level unseen, in my opinion, in the history of the world. Now, now once the white horse rides and he steps onto the world stage, the next seal is opened. Revelation 6, 3 to 4, after the lamb breaks the second seal, the second living creature with the attributes of a calf cried out, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. The red horse is testimony to this, that the world peace the Antichrist brings only temporarily will soon fade away for the next horse, this red one, is the fiery horse of war. Paul the Apostle wrote of this when he said, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, peace, peace, then disaster will fall upon them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pain sees her and there will be no escape. You don't put your faith in a wicked person. If you're looking for peace, look to the Prince of Peace, not the phony fakes. Amen? Amen. Now, let's talk about war a minute. During the 20th century, two major world wars engulfed the globe, unlike anything the world had ever seen. Dozens of nations were involved, resulted in the deaths of millions of people. As a matter of fact, I looked it up. Approximately 11 million people died in WW1. 
You know how many died in WW2? 60 million. WW1 was just a prelude to WW2. So 71 million people died in the first half of the 20th century. 71 million people died in war in the first half of the 20th century. Unimaginable. But midway through the Great Tribulation, the world's going to be plunged into a conflict without parallel. With the release of this red horse, the greatest war in the history of mankind is going to take place. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. It'll be fought in the Valley of Megiddo. I've been there. I've stood there and looked out at that lush, that lush-looking, beautiful Valley of Megiddo. Napoleon stood there, and Napoleon said these words, not being a believer. He said, the armies of the world could fight here. Napoleon said that. Little did he know he was speaking scripturally because the armies of the world will fight there. Jesus warned of this battle that if he didn't return, no flesh would live. This battle precedes his return. Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation, affliction, distress, and oppression, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be again. Now, I, I pulled these words. Look, it's not ever been, this war not ever been, isn't now, and never will be again. It's unparalleled. And if those days had not been shortened, Jesus said, no human being would endure and survive. But for the sake of the elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be shortened by the grace and mercy of God. So there's going to be war. Remember, Jesus said, they said, what, are, what is the sign of your coming, Lord? And at the end of the age, he said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that your heart is not troubled. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. The word for nation is ethnos. It means ethnicity. I believe he's predicting race wars there. Ethnicity against ethnicity and kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Ethnic wars and wars for other reasons. But they're always not the right reason. Well, not always. Sometimes you have to defend yourself. Now, that's a just war if you've got to defend yourself. But there's going to be these wars. Christ predicted it. And now here again in the Revelation, we see the red horse galloping. And then we come to the next one. The lamb broke the third seal. I heard the living being say, come. And I looked up and I saw a black horse. And its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, quote, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. Now the scales represent, I believe in this verse, the inequality of goods, an inequality that will exist in the world in the day of the tribulation that will be stark, that will be brazen, that will be outstanding. It's, the scales, they're tipped, they're tipped unfairly. The black horse represents famine. No question about it. Jesus said, in the days preceding my return, famines will increase worldwide. Clearly, massive inflation, in my opinion, is suggested here if you've got to work an entire day for a loaf of bread. I'm starting to wonder about that right now. 
We're at eight and a half percent inflation. You been to the store lately and seen those empty shelves? John mentions oil and wine, which are luxuries, not necessities. Uh, the, the loaf of bread is a necessity. You've got to have it to live. But the oil and the wine, these are luxury items. Oil represents toiletries, beauty aids, body conditioners, things you don't have to have. They are, they are, uh, they are options if you have the money. The wine speaks of another luxury item not everybody's going to be able to buy. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step out and, and tell you what I think I'm seeing here. And I've read others. I'm not alone in this. It's very possible John is describing the total breakdown of a middle class. Because you have two extremes. You have a minority that can afford the luxury items. And you have a majority that are working all day for a loaf of bread. Where's the middle class? There will be a few rich that can afford luxury items with the vast majority stricken with famine. That's what it says. If you're working all day to get a loaf of bread, what about utilities? What about shelter? What about gasoline? What about energy? What about all the other things? Not forget bread. But the fact he mentions bread is like, just to get what you need to stay alive is where the majority are. Let me give you an interesting fact or two. Today, the wealthiest 10% of Americans, follow this, the wealthiest 10% of Americans own a record 89% of all U.S. stocks. 10% own 89%. Scales. The total wealth of the top 1%, the Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, the total wealth of the top 1% now tops 32% of the country's entire financial wealth. Here's another one. 59 Americans own more wealth than half the country. Scales. The black horse, the rider is holding scales. Great inequality, extreme polarization regarding goods, material goods. This polarization of rich and poor with a diminishing or non-existent middle class is what the time of the tribulation is going to look like. How many of you are glad you may not, well, you won't be there? I say you may not because if you don't know Jesus, you better listen closely. And speaking of the famine the black horse brings, as of the latest 22 statistics from the Action Against Hunger Organization, catch this, almost 1 billion people worldwide are on the brink of starvation. 1 billion people. Roughly 10% of the world's total population. 1 billion people near starvation right now. We go to bed, or we get ready to go to bed, we make a piece of toast or whatever, and we sit down and maybe watch the news. I hope you don't, but if you do, God bless you. God be with you. Plead the blood. You're being lied to most of the time. But one billion people 
near starvation right now. One, not one million, not 500 million, one billion go to bed hungry in the world right now. But consider this, after the horrific war the Red Horse brings, famine's going to be even worse because harvest fields are decimated, supply chains are destroyed, access to food is shut down. Everything we've seen in microcosm during the COVID plague is going to be multiplied with the release of the horses of the apocalypse. When the Red Horse of War rides, the Black Horse of Famine follows right behind. It's always been the case with war. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we win as many people to Christ every day that we can. This is why we are nationwide on radio, and it, it's only going to get better. We're only going to reach further. Right now, we have plans to reach further. Because the answer to the world's need right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ in which is the power of God unto salvation. All right, we got one seal to go. How many can say, I can take it? We got one seal to go. Here comes the fourth seal. And the fourth living creature with the face of an eagle cries out. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death. So we got white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse. Now look at, there's two riders on this horse, not just one. I saw the horse, its color was pale green. Its rider, the, the main rider was named Death, but he had a companion, the grave. What a great duo. Wouldn't you love to meet them in the dark of night? All right? So here's a pale horse, and on top of this horse, two riders, <laughs> death and the grave. And these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth. Follow me on this now. One-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, disease, and wild animals. Now, the fourth horseman, again, is called death, and he rides a pale horse. Now, the Greek reads hippos chloros. Hippos is the Greek for horse. Chloros is for pale. We get the word cholera from the Greek word pale. Chloros. Cholera. The pale horse is clearly plague. It's been nicknamed the blue death because your skin turns bluish gray or pale. So here's John, he's prophesying. Jesus is showing him this. He's just writing it down because Jesus told him, write down what you see and what you hear. So John's writing it down. So here comes this pale horse, as if the first three weren't bad enough. Here comes the pale horse. And it's plague. Jesus said there will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and there will be plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. That's Luke 21, verse 11. You know, when you read Jesus' prophecies for the last days prior to his return, you got Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Matthew 24 is the most expansive, but Luke adds in chapter 21 some things Mark, uh, Matthew 24 doesn't have. Now, in the Revelation, John is witnessing a fulfillment of Christ's own predictions. But, of course, it's the same Jesus revealing to John all that he's seen. 
The Jesus that's, that spoke in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, that same Jesus is showing John in the Revelation what's coming. When this fourth horse rides, one-fourth of the earth's population will be wiped out in quick succession. Can you believe that? Is that not staggering? Let's take a backward glance into history as we come to a close for perspective. The worst plague in the history of the world was the Black Plague, sometimes called the Black Death. It killed one-fourth of Europe in the 14th century. One-fourth of Europe. Over 75 million people died worldwide. 75 million worldwide. And that's in the population back in the 14th century. They weren't anywhere near where we are now. So it afflicted a couple of uh, hundred million people. Two-thirds of those that got it managed to survive. But even at that, 75 million died. But John predicts a coming plague that will wipe out one-fourth of not just Europe, but the entire world. This is why we tell people, come to Christ, repent, get right, get saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't use the devil's favorite word, someday. Because this is what's coming on this world. As of 2022, the latest census report is this. There's about 8 billion people on planet Earth. A quarter of that, 2 billion. 2 billion people when the fourth horse rides will be taken out. You know, it's real possible that the pestilence will be germ or biological warfare. I fully believe COVID came from a lab. Now, you can think what you want. I'm still saved. You're still saved if you disagree. But I believe it came from a lab. I believe it was actually intended to be used as germ biological warfare. Now, was it a leak? It might have been a leak. But why in the world were they intentionally trying to create it? It's just an example. Because we are living in a day of not just nuclear threat, but biological and germ warfare is very real. If we knew what was going on in some laboratories around the world, we would probably all head to the altar right now and get on our face and cry out for the power of God to be poured out on the world all over again. Nobody knows for certain where the plague will come from. Chloros, hippos chloros, the horse pale. All in all, during the release of these four dreaded horsemen of the apocalypse, one out of every four human beings are going to die. So, so far, John has painted a chilling portrait of the final hours of civilization. Keep in mind that these events are falling on a Christ-rejecting, godless, and unrepentant world who are going to have been given all kinds of time to repent. Remember, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. As I mentioned at the beginning, and we close here, amazingly, we're going to see later in our study that as these terrible judgments fall, man knows that it's God judging him. And yet, he does two things. He turns his face to heaven and curses and blasphemes God, and then he 
calls out to Mother Earth for help. It says he, he asks the rocks of the mountains to fall on him. He prays to the rocks of the mountains to fall on him instead of praying to the God who can deliver him. That's crazy. But that'll be the mindset of man in the tribulation. Well, while the apostle might have assumed it couldn't get much worse, it could and it does, cosmic chaos is about to erupt with the opening of the final three seals and John will behold startling signs in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we're going to look at that next time. Let's stand. How many of you can say, thank Lord I'm saved? Thank the Lord I'm saved. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We just lift our hands to him. And Lord, we read these words not with joy, but we need to know these things. For we see a time coming, Lord, when these judgments are poured out and man will be trapped in the consequences of his own sin. And so, Lord, we pray as we read these things. Not only do we look up for our redemption draws nigh, but also we look out on the harvest fields that are white and ready for harvest. And we ask you, Lord, lay your hand on us. Help us, Lord, in this final hour to reach as many people as possible in as many ways as possible, as fast as possible. For we do sense, Lord, an urgency as we see these very events preparing to unfold. In Jesus' name.